0: from BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Imagine for a moment that it's 1974. That year, Hank Aaron will hit his historic 714th home run. Richard Nixon will resign the presidency in the wake of the Watergate scandal. Lucille Ball will broadcast her final appearance after 23 consecutive years on television. And McDonald's will open its first restaurant in the U.K. But... You're not in the baseball stadium or watching television or eating a hamburger. You're sitting in an audience in Johannesburg, South Africa, ready to listen to a performance of Beethoven's Piano Concerto No. 1. The pianist performing is Anton Nell, and he's 12 years old. Well, he's our guest today. All these years later, we'll find out how he did in that concert. That long ago performance was just the beginning of a musical education that would take Dr. Nell from Johannesburg to Cincinnati and a performing career that to date has spanned four decades. These played the most prestigious venues in the world, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, the Library of Congress, to name just a few of the American venues where audiences have enjoyed his performances as well as halls in Canada, England, France, Holland, Japan, Korea, and, of course, South Africa. Dr. Nell joins us today live in the studio here on Highway 89. Thanks to him for coming to share an hour of music and conversation with us, and our thanks to the Gina Bachauer International Piano Foundation for arranging this visit. We'll have plenty of conversation during the hour, but let's begin with a little Handel. Here's air and variations from Handel Suite Number no. 5, the movement popularly known as The Harmonious Blacksmith, performed by Anton Nell, live on Highway 89. Dr. Antonell, performing live in Studio Six, handles Air and Variations from Suite Number Five, beautifully played. Thank you. Maybe you could help us clear up the mystery of why this is called the Harmonious Blacksmith. We've heard everything, from the ringing of an anvil to somebody, a blacksmith whistling the tune that Handel liked. What do you think? I've heard those
1: too. <laughs> I wish I, I, wish I had a, an explanation. But you know, it's probably one of these things that somebody just coined, like, um, you know, like, like Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata or things like that. I don't think, you know, it was, it might have even been um, a publisher who thought that he could make extra money by. Publishing these variations as a separate thing with a fancy title versus just saying air with variations—that's very possible. That was the most boring of the possibilities that we found. It's which maybe means it's it's the true. Well, was, you know, <laughs> there might have been money involved in it somewhere. Yes.
0: Well, I did set up that we had to ask you when you were twelve, when you were thirteen,
1: performing your first concert. How did that go? Oh, you know, I think it went rather well. You know, at that at that time, um, you know, I had only really been taking lessons for a couple of years. And I was a late starter. I was a, uh, you know, I grew up on a farm in South Africa. And um, I had wonderful, you know, teachers from the beginning. And at that time in one's life, you know, you sort of do as your teacher tells you. So... Um, I didn't find any of that so remarkable. But what I do remember was how much I did enjoy playing the instrument. And, and to this day, of course, I still do. That was always um, an, an enormous pleasure for me was to play it.
0: We read a quote that said, by the time I was 13, I knew I wanted to make music my life.
1: You yeah. did know that, that early. You know, I... It was just something that I loved and ever since all of that started to fall into place, um, I should add that as a youngster living in South Africa during those years, they were unbelievable opportunities for young people. And so by the time I came to the States when I was 20, I'd already had so much experience, you know, I'd been touring with orchestras, playing, I, I used to have a you know some radio and television shows and there was just tremendous uh, experience and also tremendous guidance from my teachers and so It just, there really wasn't another option. I was, I enjoyed school, but but this was really what I was interested in.
0: You've chosen some beautiful pieces. I'm so excited to get to sit by you here and and see them and hear them performed live. How do you go about putting together a program and putting together various pieces to make a concert?
1: As pianists, we're always, uh, you know, we're always the proverbial kids in the candy stores because we have so much wonderful music. And normally, I mean, I put together a program unless there's a certain request that there's a theme that runs through it or a certain composer is being um celebrated or so on. What I normally do is I just put together music that I think would go nicely together and that people would enjoy um today's program for you i it's bits of the program I'm playing you know later this week. Or by the time this program is broadcast, I will have played. <laughs> but um, but basically, it's uh, you know I, I look for things that are have different textures, come from different countries. You know, some tell stories, some are more absolute. It there's really it's it's basically stuff that I love. Something more unusual now and then.
0: Well we're very excited to hear what you have prepared and often we hear from Sweet Bergamasque. we'll hear Claire de Lune of course but you're oh, yes. going to play all four of the movements here tell me what you love about what Debussy did with this piece
1: well Debussy is just one of my absolute favorite composers and I unlike a lot of people did not play Claire de Lune as a teenager <laughs> I, I learned this piece this year this is the first season I've been playing it and I think it is wonderful it's something that Evolved over time. He worked on it for many years before it actually saw the light, but it's one of his early works. And um, it harkens back to earlier times. Uh, you know, the uh, the Clé de Lune actually initially was called the Promenade Sentimentale. It had another title. But it has a prelude and then um, a minuet, which is, uh, the, these are old fashioned titles, and then this beautiful uh, Clair de Lune, and then the Passepier, which of course is a kind of dance, which we see uh, in much earlier works. You know, Bachan, even before, uses this kind of dance, um, but I, I love this, uh, I love Debussy when he's sort of a slightly neoclassical. Ravel did this too, of course, in L'Itembleau de Couperin, so it's this kind of um, old music with a new twist. Nice. Well, we are so
0: pleased to hear all four movements from Sweet Bergamasque. As mentioned, the Prelude, Menuet, Claire de Lune, and passe performed by Anton Nel. Thank you. Antonell performing in Studio 6, we've heard him perform the entirety of Sweet Bergamasque, Prelude, Menuet, Clair de Lune, and Passepillé. I can't help but wonder when Debussy was at the keyboard playing, for instance, the Clair de Lune, did he know he'd written a hit?
1: <laughs> you know, I don't know about that. He was, I think, I think he was a very complex person. That is always hard to say. I am sure um, but he was glad that he got played so much later on. But at that moment, you know, it's it's hard to say. You know, he was you know he was so taken by all the you know by all the French poets of the time, especially in you know, Verlaine and all these people, of course. And that's where the line comes from, mm-hmm. uh, from Claire de from one of the the Verlaine poems. And so, you know, all of this it's so closely intertwined. I think he was just in his own world. Yes. Like maybe they'll like it. I like it. <laughs> well, it's his most popular thing, of course
0: growing up in Johannesburg but you earned your graduate degree here in the US in Cincinnati you've mm-hmm. performed all over the world uh 2003 you became a US citizen I did tell me about that journey really going all around the world and then picking a place to stay and call home a new place
1: yes well um as i said earlier i had so many you know great opportunities in south africa to to do things as a as a child until i was 20 and i decided um, a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues, contemporaries at the time, um, came overseas to study further. And so it was, you know, it seemed to be the most natural thing for me to do. And so I um, I went to graduate school at the University of Cincinnati where I studied with, um, you know, with Belashiki, who was a wonderful Hungarian teacher. And I also studied for a year with Frank Weinstock, who, of course, lives here in Salt Lake City, mm. who's, a, who's, a, who's still a good friend. And um, at that particular time, I liked America well enough that I wanted at least to stay there for a little while longer. And the situation then was so different from what it is now. I um, had always been interested in teaching, um, and literally it was one of these things where I just decided that I was going to take a chance and apply for a college position, and the the very first application I put in the mail went to the University of Texas at Austin, and it was my first job. It was just that doesn't happen. That is just absolutely <laughs> sheer luck. No, truly. And the, you know, and then subsequently, of course, there were other you know um, competition successes and things. And gradually, this uh, a combination a career was built over many many years. And um, and and I actually the the. I was a little bit reluctant to give up my South African citizenship, and um, and well, it was just one of those things. But you know, even though I had a green card and you know all the proper you know documents, of course, to be in the United States, um, I still needed visas to go everywhere, and it was getting. I think what finally did it was just the tiresomeness of it all. Actually, going to the uh, to the French consulate in Houston once, and and the you know the very um, stern and forbidding lady behind the glass. Recognizing me and saying, "Oh, hi! Are you playing a concert?" I realized that it was time for me just to get my American belt.
0: <laughs> well, introduce us to this this piece by Schumann. I've looked forward to hear the
1: Schwank aus Wien." Well done oh it's a wonderful piece um it is from the it's from the it's from the late 1830s it was still when he was in his absolute phase of writing only piano music and actually what it what he translates as his carnival jest from Vienna and he actually had spent a very um sort of productive a sojourn in Vienna where he, where he saw and heard a lot of things but didn't put roots down there like a lot of his uh, you know forefathers like uh, Schubert and Beethoven and so on didn't. But but he came back and one of the pieces that, that came from there was this particular piece. It's not like his more popular plate piece like pieces like um, the Carnival or the Seeds of Childhood which actually tell a story. This is more of a an absolute music kind of thing. It's like a, a suite or a sonata. Um, and the first movement, which I'm going to play today, is just a big rondo. Um, the, it has this sort of rollicking theme that comes back five times uh, throughout the piece with little episodes. And there's, uh, it's very fun and very charming and very contrasting, as with him. You know, he, he had this these sort of two sides to his personality. Um, there's a very funny tongue-in-cheek reference to the Marseillaise. At one point in the piece, and it was, and that is really a little, little bit of a jab because, because uh, it was, the, it was forbidden to be played at that particular time. So in, in Vienna, so it's kind of, it's kind of fun. Um, and then it has other, um, you know, sort of more essence of Schumann kind of movements: a Romance, a Scherzino, and an Intermezzo, which is wonderfully passionate, and a finale. The two outer movements are very extensive, actually. I'm just going to play the first movement today.
0: We'll hear Dr. Anton Nell performing his work by Schumann. We'll hear, as he said, the first movement, the Allegro. Thank you. Beautiful performance by Dr. Anton Nell, our guest in studio today on Highway 89, Faschingsfunk aus Wien, the first movement, the Allegro by Robert Schumann. I'm letting you catch your breath here for a second. Oh, I won't. Thank you. It's so much much fun to do, though. Well, you get so much exercise, I'm sure, just practicing
1: these Yes, as you wipe your brow. You know, the great pity about playing the piano is you do it sitting down. So even (laughs) after a concert when one hopes that one might lose a few pounds, unfortunately, (laughs) No. (laughs) Is there a thing that you can't
0: teach that a student has to have to get the clarity of playing that you have? Is there just some basic understanding that I seem to be able to tell the difference between the different notes that you're playing and that you're choosing very consciously the melody or or
1: some other thing over another note? You know, I think like like in everything in, in music there is a definite sense of hierarchy and um when you play anything there has to be there is always unless the composer specifically says so, something is more important than the other. And and it's you know, it's 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 textural. On the on the piano it's hard to achieve. I mean you have to you have to be technically very adept, but also your ears have to be attuned at every moment.
0: Ah, it well it's brilliant to hear it done well. It's just a kind of breathtaking to me. Thank you. Thank you. Will you introduce us to this Waldstein, this uh, piano sonata in C major? You're actually well known as an excellent interpreter of Beethoven. We've been hearing all these other composers, but I'm glad we get to dip into
1: this well just a bit. Well, yes, uh, yes, I adore the music of Beethoven. By teacher, I am related My teacher in South Africa was a wonderful man called Adolf Hallis, who was, um, and I'll make this very brief, but he was almost um, 80 when I went to study with him, but he actually studied for many years in Vienna with a man called Theodor Leschetizky, who was a student of Liszt. Mm. And Liszt was a student of Czerny, he was a student of Beethoven, so it's not so far back. A little, ge- Just a
0: short journey. So I'm sort
1: of I'm in that line, which which makes me enormously proud, of course. But I relate very much to this kind of music. I adore it. Uh, I don't know what's... With Mozart, I feel the same, though. I mean, it's these composers that are able to say so much with not many notes, mm. as it were. But the Wolstein Sonata, of which I'll play the first movement now, is something... The name comes from Count Ferdinand von Wolstein... Um, who was a patron of Beethoven's um, uh, a student, sometimes friend, not always. Beethoven <laughs> was a tough one to be friends with. But Beethoven gave him this wonderful present in 1801. And um, it's one of his greatest p- piano sonatas. What amazes me about the movement, especially that you're about to hear, is that, it again, it is happens with so so little. It's got a, a repeated notes in it, a few broken chords, a trill, a chorale, and, you know, he puts that all together and stirs and out comes, you know, it's like a gourmet meal with three ingredients. <laughs> Allegro con brio is the first movement. Wonderful. We're going to hear this performed by Dr. Anton Nell, our guest today
0: on Highway 89. by Ludwig von Beethoven, a performance by our guest today, Dr. Anton Nell from the Sonata in C major, Opus 53, Waldstein. We heard the opening movement, Allegro con brio. I, I was missing a, a roar of applause after that beautiful performance, but of course you out there are listening, and I know you're applauding along with that beautiful performance. What a pleasure to have Dr. Anton Nell as our guest today in studio for Highway 89. I know you've enjoyed the music. Uh, Conversation and our special thanks goes to the Gina Bachauer International Piano Foundation and Joanne Rowland for arranging Dr. Nell's visit. Dr. Nell, of course, has a catalog of recordings that represent his solo work and his collaborations with other musicians. Find those recordings wherever fine recordings are sold, including digital outlets like iTunes and www.antonnell.com. That's N E L. If you just caught part of the show and would like to hear the beginning or listen again and share it with a friend, you can do that. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org highway89 and follow us on Twitter at BYUH for live show updates and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our student assistants are Abby Vance and Victoria hardy and the show's producer is sam payne i'm stephen cap perry thanks for listening